If you have a Bible with you, why don't you jump with me to Genesis chapter 17. Uh, and whilst you're turning there, I'll tell you a wee story. Um, there was a, a Catholic priest who was getting uh, honoured after uh, 25 years of service. He was retiring and uh, they were having a special service, a, a sort of Thanksgiving, you know, um, you know, honouring service for him as he was about to retire. And it was an MP, member of the congregation, was due to give a speech but got delayed. So, so the priest uh, stood up to sort of share whilst this delay was happening. And, and he told them, he said, look, my first impression of this place was terrible, like absolutely awful. The very first person who came in to confession came in and they said that they'd just robbed a shop and then they'd managed to lie to the police to get out of it. They'd stolen money from their parents, they'd embezzled from their employer, they'd committed tax fraud, blackmail, bribery, all of this stuff. And, and I was shocked. Uh, but thankfully, as, as time went on, I got to meet more people and began to realize that there's a lot of wonderful people. Actually, this has been a great parish to serve in, and thank you so much. So finally, after he had said that, you know, the MP arrived, said, so sorry, I was delayed with work, and presented the priest with a little plaque. And then he stood up for his speech, and he said, Joe, I'll never forget the day the priest arrived. In fact, I had the honor of being the first ever person to go to him for a confession. What we do whilst we're waiting matters, everybody. What we do whilst we're waiting matters. And I want to call this message, laughing whilst you wait. Laughing whilst you wait. You see, I, I believe this morning, and this will be true, this is, this is not some sort of prophetic word. This is just this amount of people in the room. This is the reality. Some of you are waiting on something from God. Some of you are waiting on things, and sometimes in life you will go through periods where you feel like you are in the waiting room. Like these things that you believe that God has for you are delayed, these things are held up. And sometimes when you're in that place, some people can do well in that place, some people walk through that uh, without struggle. I, I don't, I've never met any of them, but you know, so, some people do. But for the large majority of us, the reality is that we think a lot of the time, look, I can't be happy until this is sorted out. I, I can't rejoice until this thing gets resolved. I, I, and I want to say this morning, and where I want to go with this message is, I want to tell you that God has not predestined, if you are in a place like that, he has not predestined that season to be one of misery. He is not predestined it to be a season where you are wailing whilst you're waiting. He, he, he does not want that. He wants you in the midst of that. In fact, James tells us this. It's not my scripture, but it says, Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. There is a joy for you, not just in coming out of the season, but in fact in that season. Yes? Yes, there is. And so that's why we're talking about laughing whilst you wait. So we're in the story of Abraham here in Genesis 17, and uh, it's a portion of the story that you'll know. I, I want to give us some context for it, because in order to kind of understand where I'm going with this, you need to understand just how long this wait was for Abraham. We kind of miss this when we read it quickly. When we first really kind of meet Abraham, and we first get, get this first word from God for Abraham, which is in Genesis 12, Abraham is already an old man. He is already in his 60s. He's not a young man at this point. And he has, as far as we can tell, we think anyway, that he's been faithful to God throughout his whole life. So we're told in Acts 7 that Abraham, that God spoke to Abraham to leave Haran, which is what his father did, and Abraham went with him. But it seems to have come from Abraham, that they were in this place called Ur, that was a very dark spiritual place. 
And Abraham seemed to be the one saying, look, we need to get out of here. We need to go somewhere else. So he seems to have been walking with God for the majority, if not all, of his life. And at the same time, he's a married man, and he's been waiting on God for children. He's been praying to God for kids, and that just simply has not happened. And so when we first meet him in Genesis 12, God comes to him with this word and says, look, get out from your father's house to the land that I'll show you. I'm going to make you a great nation, which implies a couple of things. It implies land and it implies descendants, land and kids. That's the promise that God seems to give him. He gives him this radical act of obedience, like leave everything and I'm going to turn you into a nation. I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to give you these kids. And I can imagine if you are already in your 60s and you have been waiting on God for something like that and you get that word, you've got to be thinking, look, this is going to happen pretty soon. Like, like, this is it. This is the moment. God's going to move now. Like, I'm going to obey. And then, you know, pretty quickly thereafter, God's going to move. And so he obeys. He goes out and he essentially becomes a nomad. He, he, he's like one of those weird TikTokers that lives out of a van, right? I don't know if you've seen those people. They do up their vans very nicely. Never have a shower in them, by the way, okay? I don't know. They must be filthy, these people, okay? But that, he becomes one of those people. There's no TikTok yet as well. He doesn't even go viral. Right? But he must be thinking it's going to happen quick. And yet, when we see him now, we're in Genesis 17. And yes, God has spoken to him, God has helped him, God has blessed him. But we are 26 ish years later. He is now 99 years old. Still no land, still no kids. So, so the big promise that God gave him has been delayed, and it has been delayed not just his entire life up until retirement, but even after the word from God, it still hasn't happened at this point. He's 99 years old. And if you want to understand the message today, you kind of have to feel the weight of that a little bit. We kind of have to understand that a little bit. I don't know, has anybody here got someone in their family who's sort of perpetually late? Yes? Yes, did, any, did anyone have one of those people make them late for church this morning? Yes, you sitting beside them? Yeah, put your hand up nice and high so we can judge them, okay, right? Because we'll pray that God just casts whatever issues they have out of them. We have one of those people in our family. I grew up with one of those people uh, as a child. And I'll say which one. All says is that they're married, married to my mother. Uh, so that, that keeps it vague. You'll never, you'll never guess. And we adopted a term for this person. We said that they were a chron-optimist. From the Greek church, so chronos, Greek, uh, Greek for time, and optimist, to drastically underestimate how much of that flipping time everything would take. <laughs> I remember times we would go to the cinema, and the cinema, the movie would be starting about 15 minutes, it would be a 10-minute drive, we'd be getting our coats on, we'd hear the sound of running water. would be like, what's going on here? And this individual would walk past, say, I'm just going to have a, a quick bath. A quick, like, a, that is an oxymoron, by the way, okay? There's no such thing. It's like a Tottenham title winner, George, okay? It's, uh, it's, it will not happen. It cannot happen. This year, yeah, that is faith. Harry Kane's gone, okay? Anyway, there's, a lot of the time, though, we can feel like God is a little bit like that. In fact, the reality is that if, we're, if we think about it in the sort of macro terms, all of life is like that. There are things in your soul, things in your spirit, things that God has placed within you that you will not see, that will not be uh, realized fully until you go to glory, until you're with God face to face in glory. Like that, that's the reality. Um, I think one of the reasons Craig's book, Attention and Transition, resonated with so many people is because we kind of live here a lot. 
Now, now he's talking more specifically. He's not just talking about that, that sort of general sense. He's talking about those moments when that's heightened. But, but nonetheless, we all recognize this experience. We recognize it in the macro, but we also recognize it in the micro. There are things that you can believe that God speaks to you, lays on your heart, calls you to do, or issues that you're praying over, challenges that you're facing, you're believing. And the reality is that you can be there a long time where that wait for those things to be fulfilled, those prayers to be answered, is far longer than you ever imagined it would be. You just feel like you're in that place of waiting, where it's like that healing hasn't happened, that ministry thing didn't work out, that breakthrough hasn't come yet, that relationship has not been resolved yet. You can be waiting for these things from God. But the, but. What I want to say today is that when you are with the Lord, the waiting is not wasted. The waiting does not need to be wasted. It is not wasted. So Genesis 17, finally, sorry, we'll jump into our text here. I like to preach before we get to the Bible, which is not always the way to go, but I get excited. Genesis 17, 1 to 6 says this. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared, sorry, when Abram was 99 years old, that's important. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abraham falls on his face. And then God says, again, my covenant's going to be with you. And he says, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I shall make you exceedingly fruitful, and I shall make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. If we, if we skip down a little bit then to verse 15 uh, to kind of 19, God goes on. He continues to speak to Abraham. And he says, as for Sarai, that's the, me just phoneticizing it, Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but it will be Sarah. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations, kings of people shall come from her. So it's amazing, right, in, in this moment. God shows up to Abraham, reiterates the promise, and changes his name. And he changes his name from honored father, kind of an honored older man, to the father of nations. He makes it specific. You're going to have literal children, right? You can call someone an honored father, just an older man. But you couldn't call him a father of nations. Does the same kind of thing with Sarah. Sarah's name goes from, from Sarai, which, which means like uh, uh, my princess, like someone who's beloved by someone, to just princess, like the princess over a people. And how does Abraham react? Here's, here's what's interesting if we continue to read. It says that Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, Sarah shall be your wife, or uh, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Uh, Abraham laughing is a slightly surprising reaction. It's just an unusual one. I think when you read that, and you don't go, oh, well, what's that about? Why is he laughing here? You're sort of... Uh, you, you've skimmed it too quickly because he, here's the thing, right? If, if God comes up and speaks to you and you laugh, you, you would sort of think, oh, that, is, that, is that disrespectful? Is he being unbelieving? Is he being, being sort of uh, abrupt, rude, cheeky to God here? But I heard someone preach on, on this passage and they called it the laugh of faith. The laugh of faith. You see, it is possible to laugh at God. Not good, but it is possible. But what's happening here is not that. 
In fact, Romans chapter 4, the reason I say that is Romans 4 talks about this exact moment. In Romans 4, we're told about the importance of faith in verses 16 to 20. And I'll read this, sorry, a little bit of teaching, but you need to get this in order to kind of understand where we're going. It talks about where God says to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. And in the presence of the God in whom he believed, we'll read, so it says that... Um, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. God's talking about this exact moment. And in the presence of God, whom he believed, so he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. And then it goes on to say, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver according or concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So in this very moment, right, this is a laugh that God does not correct, God does not rebuke, and later on God refers to this as his key moment of faith. God himself, because it's God's word, says that this is the moment when Abraham displayed faith. It says he had no unbelief, no weakness of faith. He was fully convinced. And in another portion of the Bible, in John 8, Jesus is talking about Abraham. And he says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Scholars think it's talking about this exact moment. That this was this laugh of faith, that he heard the promise of God and he saw what God was going to do and he saw the potential, he saw the Messiah coming through him and it overflowed in laughter. It overflowed in a rejoicing kind of laughter over the things of God. You see, when God gives us a word, sometimes the right response is to laugh. It's a belly laugh of faith. When God says, do you know what? I know what it looks like right now. I, I, I know the situation that you're in. I know how dark it is. But here's my word to you and here's my potential uh, uh, for you. Here is what I have called you to. And I do, I'm not interested in what it looks like. I am calling you this. And sometimes the right response is to go, ah, yes. Ha <laughs> ha. That can be the right response. It is a wonderful thing. It is something that we are, in fact, supposed to be and, in fact, commanded to be throughout the Bible, particularly in times when there is a time of waiting. What are we told? Count it all joy when you face trials of many, many kinds. Paul, when he is a prisoner in Rome, writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. With the Psalms tell us over and over again things like rejoice and be glad. Rejoice before God. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. Shout joyfully to the Lord. There is a command for us in the Bible, everybody, to be gobsmacked, to be wonderstruck, to be speechless with his goodness and to express that in joy and in laughter, even when it doesn't look like it even when it does not look like it. And if you're here this morning and you've been through a hard go of it and it's been rough, God wants to restore that joy in your life. He wants to restore the laughter. The laughter, not of unbelief, not a laughter of, of, of you know, sneering at the things of God, but going, do you know what? I absolutely believe it. I don't see it at all. I still believe it. Now, now I've, I think here's, here's, here's a, a thought for you this morning, right? If, if this is the moment that Abraham is praised for his faith, 
And not just that, it's also something that we're commanded to do over and over again in the Bible. This whole idea of having joy when it doesn't look like it. Then perhaps it might be that this is something important for us to do. Like perhaps this actually matters. Perhaps this is about more than maybe just having a good emotional state. Perhaps there's something that God has for us that only this kind of joy can bring us into. Uh, I met Danny 15 years ago. Danny's my wife. We met 15 years ago this week. Okay, it was sometime in late August uh, in 2008. Okay, I was eight years old. And, um, and after a while, got interested in her and, and we started dating. Um, she did not know we were dating at the start of it. I was more just showing up wherever she was, you know, sort of. Some might call it stalking. I wouldn't call it that. I think that's unfair. You know, just walking her home for her physical protection, that kind of thing. It's good chivalrous behavior, you know. Uh, totally, uh, you know, unrelated to any romantic interest I may have had. But I remember I started praying about, should I inform her that we were dating? And um, I was praying about this. And, and over the course of a few weeks, God kept speaking to me over and over again through, through words people were giving me, uh, through, through, through scriptures that were taught, stuff I was reading, books, all of that. And I wasn't seeking it. So God kept speaking to me about this Abraham and Sarah thing. It was just everywhere. It was like un- it was a blaring, Abraham and Sarah is the kind of thing. And it's been a word that actually has followed us throughout our life then since. It's been something that God spoke to her about me through that. And it's been something that in key times of transition, God has brought us back to this. And people have given us really specific words on this. And uh, here, here's the thing, right? That word sounds great. Like, like when I first got that, I was like, oh, yes, like God's, God's going to put us together. God's going to use us. Like we're going to see something significant. We're going to see God do something big through our lives. And by the way, I'm so, still believing God for that. Like, you know, like very much at my, my heart, you, I've talked about this too many times. I, I want to see Northern Ireland revive. I want to see the power of God poured out in Northern Ireland. That is what I want to do. I love this place and I want to see God do something here. But the reality is that at that moment in time, I did not consider that so much of this story is a story of waiting. It's a story of those promises not actually coming to pass in the way and in the time that we would have imagined and that Abraham would have imagined. We, we, we've had a weird life, everybody. Like, it's been unusual. We moved house 22 times, okay? Not, not by choice, okay? We are not picky. It was just that, that was a whole thing with Sweden and lack of accommodation and stuff, and then just houses that we were renting and got sold, and we moved country a bunch of times, and not because I sort of don't want to be somewhere. It just was like God spoke to us really clearly that we needed to do that. It was, it was not something I want, which I think is a good thing. It maybe shows that perhaps it was, in fact, God. Like, it wasn't just me. I, I hope we're not. We definitely don't want to be like flaky people. I've always had this, I, I just want to give my life to one thing. And God's done this really annoying thing where he's kind of moved us around and, and, and you know, shuffled us in different places that, that we, we had sort of assumed would be much longer term than they were. And there's been challenge in that. And can I tell you what the real challenge has been in that? Because, look, I'm not complaining. God has been wonderfully good, wonderfully gracious, wonderfully kind to us in so many ways. But there's been a challenge of that. And when it's got really difficult has been when the joy has receded, when I've lost the joy, when I've taken my eyes off, well, what is the actual promise of God here, and put it on to the delay. When I've stopped looking at the fulfillment and the fulfiller, 
who is with us always, who is good to us always, who has been incredibly good and kind and doesn't owe us anything. But when it's been difficult, when it's been hard to keep going, when I felt like, do you know what, I want to give up, that has been tied to when the joy has disappeared, when I've lost the joy. And the enemy knows that fine rightly, that for every single one of us, that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that the joy of the Lord is our ability to walk through it when it doesn't look like it. And if he can get our joy gone and he can pull our eyes off of what God is going to do and instead just fix us on the waiting, that actually we ourselves might give up and turn around. This joy thing, it is not some little light thing. It's not just about, I want you to have a nice emotional state in the middle of this time period. It is essential if you're going to do what God has called you to do. You will give up otherwise. You, you will stop short. You will say, do you know what? This is too tough and I can't do it. If we lose the joy, it, it, it will remove us from what God wants us to do. You know, we, we talk about having joy in trials. Read that scripture. Why, why did Paul need to have joy in trials? Because God was going to do something at the end of the trials. God was going to do something through the trials and Paul had to not give up. He needed to keep going. He needed to rejoice in it. It wasn't an optional extra to make the trial better. It was, in fact, the key thing that would drive him through it into the fulfillment. And so the laugh of faith is essential. The laugh of faith protects us from the laugh of unbelief. You know, in the very next chapter, Genesis 18, uh, God appears to Abraham and Sarah by the oaks of Mamre. And it comes and this is an appearance of three men. Lots of theology as to what's going on here. Not getting into it, right? But God speaks to them uh, and says the following. So Genesis 18. Uh, he, he says, uh, actually, I'll, 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 I'll skip it for the sake of time. Just don't want to read a big long passage. But he says, I'm going to show up next year. You're going to have a baby. They're still old, right? They haven't got younger in the year that's passed. And it says this in verse 13. It says, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Now she says this inwardly, she's in the tent, she's not there, like not close. But God speaks to Abraham and goes, why did she laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. God rebukes that laugh. He doesn't rebuke Abraham's laugh, but he rebukes hers. He goes, no, that, that was not okay. There was a laugh there that I didn't like. There was a laugh there that was not good. I, 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 I don't know if anybody else is here. Do you, do you engage in dark humor sometimes? Yeah? I like to think I have a sense of humor, right? Some Sundays you really show me that I don't, but sometimes, sometimes I feel like I do. Um, but my temptation is, if you've got a wee sense of humor, is that you use that in dark times, but you use it in dark humor. And, and actually, do you know what? It's, it's not a good thing. I understand why we do it. It's a coping mechanism. It provides relief. But what it actually does is it can allow that sense of hopelessness to settle, that you just become okay. You just sort of, I'm just going to make my place here in this little valley, and I'm not going to get out, but I'm just going to you know, laugh whilst I'm doing it. There, there's a different attitude, a different spirit behind that. And I think when a lot of Christians, this is, this is one of my concerns. For Christians that are discerning in our time, for Christians that, that you know, you're walking with God and you understand what's going on in our world and you're concerned about it, one of our 
very, very serious ditches that we can go into is just becoming hopeless. Just, just looking around at the world and saying, you know what, we're done. Like, like the, the nation's done. The church is in terminal decline. We're finished. We can't do anything about this. It is possible for Christians to get really cynical. Really, really cynical about everything. In fact, I think it's part of what drives, if we look at sort of, you know, we, we need to have our eyes open. We need to not be stupid. We need to not, not buy everything. But we don't want to be conspiratorial, right? We don't want to be people who just sort of buy into the worst possible scenario at all times, that everything is the work of the Antichrist at all times, that there must, there could be no other option. And, and we can do that very easily. It's not right to do that. And this is dangerous. I've seen, I've seen this play out in a, a few different ways. I've seen that sort of cynical spirit really destroy churches and really destroy the momentum and the power of God in churches. Some churches, you know, I've seen that, that don't have this. The, the leader can stand up and be genuinely sincere and people actually go with it, right? I've seen, I've seen leaders do things where, you know, they're reading some of their poetry or, or like singing a song and they don't get buried for it, right? Now, I am not about to read you my poetry or sing a song, but you know what I mean? There's like a sincerity that's allowed when we're not cynics. There's a sincerity that's possible. People go, do you know what? Actually, I'm with you and I'm backing you and I'm 100% on board. And it doesn't mean you don't have any sort of questions or thoughts, but like broadly speaking, there's just an oomph behind that that is wholesome and good and allows the plans and purposes of God to play out. And I've seen other churches and normally it's some sort of spiritual hangover from something that's happened. But the leader stands up and says, we're going to go after this. We're going to do this. And everyone just, you know, I, I write. You know, who are you? Who do you think you are? We'll, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. That cynical thing, it's not a good thing. And in Northern Ireland, we're very good at it. Okay, our national love language is sarcasm. Like it's how we interact with each other for fun. And don't get me wrong, it makes us hilarious. It's wonderful, okay? That's why we're good crack. But at the same time, it's not always good. It's not always wholesome. There are things about which we should not be sarcastic and things about which we should not be cynical, even if we could make a good joke out of it. It's not right sometimes. And there is a despairing sort of cynicism that the story of Abraham rules out for us. In dark times, there's, there's, there's something that this story tells us that, you know what, it doesn't matter how bad it looks. We're told that Abraham did not consider the deadness of his body. He, he, he refused to even countenance that compared to the promise of God. He did not worry about it. There, there's something in this story, everybody. That, you know, this story, it, it is a precursor. It's a picture of the resurrection. It is, it is he didn't consider the deadness of his body. And he wasn't fully dead, but he was pretty darn close. Not many people live long after 99, right? He was close to it. And, and if we have, and he didn't even have his own story. It's not like he had read this passage yet. He didn't know where this ended. All he did was fix his eyes on the promise of God. And similarly, we don't just have this story. We have the fulfillment of this story in the empty tomb outside of Jerusalem right now. There was a body that was completely dead, that was put in a tomb and a stone was rolled in front of it. And that stone has been rolled away and that body is no longer there. 
And so cynicism is not an option. A laugh of unbelief is not an option. We do not have the laugh of cynicism. We have the laugh of confidence. We have the laugh of conviction. God could do something. It doesn't matter what it looks like. God could do something here. It doesn't matter what the situation is. God could be at work. And when I look at our world right now, we mentioned it earlier, we think about the RSE thing. Do you know what my first response is? And I genuinely mean this. Do you know what my response is? Hope. I have hope. This thing is a giant, but I tell you this, some giants, we think, oh, they're too big to kill. This giant's too big to miss. This giant is too big to miss. There is something going on here in our world where we have this giant, we have this thing, and it's blaspheming, and it's mocking the people of God. And there's something about it, and I genuinely believe this over our nation, that there is a spirit of David over our wee country. We talk about our wee country, but I tell you what, we punch above our weight when it comes to the things of God. We do. There is something in the soil here. There is something in... David talks about this uncircumcised Philistine. This thing that does not have a covenant with God. Do you know that we have a covenant with God in this nation? Do you know that we have a heritage here? Do you know we have a history here? Do you know that God did signs and wonders here? Do you know that this was the place from which the gospel went out? At the fall of the Roman Empire, God turned this island around and we went out back into the nations and we took it back. We took it back. And that is our covenant with God. That is what God has given to us. And I believe it will happen again. I believe there's something in our nation where we are going to rise up. We're going to say, do you know what? We're not standing for this anymore. You might think you have an, an you know, inexorable march towards whatever secular utopia. No, no, no. The people of God have something to say about it. We are not finished yet, everybody. In fact, we're just getting started. We are waking up here once again. I see it. I have conversations with people. I've been in places, and I see the signs of the Spirit of God at work. And I believe in the generation to come. There is going to be a move of God in this nation where we retake Western Europe once again from this place because there's a Spirit of God over us. As, as G.K. Chesterton said, Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. I don't worry if things look dead. We should not worry if things look dead. We don't laugh in cynicism. We don't do the laugh of unbelief. We have the laugh of faith. One last point before I close. So, so this guy, Abram, and that's what he's called for the, almost his entire life and almost this entire story. We don't know him as Abram. We always talk about him as Abraham. But he is Abram until this point. He's 99 years old, no kids, no land. And he goes out and he, he's told by God to call himself the father of nations. So just imagine what calling yourself the father of nations would look like at that point in life. Right, And this is not a public encounter with God. He doesn't get a prophetic word from a stage. It's not, he seems to be on his own here, like just having a prayer time or something like that. And God shows up and goes, right, I want you to call yourself the father of nations. So the next day he goes out and everyone goes, how are you doing, Abram? And he goes, it's Abraham. Okay, it's father of nations. Thank you very much. Had to go get his driving license changed, you know. Class C, camel, you know. <laughs> Abraham. Right? It's like me coming in one day, and you going, hi, James. Go, actually, it's extremely handsome, Jay. Okay? That's, that's what I'd like you to call me from now on. Okay? King Jamie. 
Feel free, by the way. No problem with that. But there's, there, there is something about this. Like, this was weird. Like, this was an unusual way to act. It, it didn't just look weird. It genuinely was weird. It was, to tie it all together, laughable. It was a laughable thing to do, to walk out of your tent one day, still a nomad, still no kids, 99 years old, say, I am the father of nations. Laughable behavior. Who could take that guy seriously? But here's the good thing. The laugh of faith, when you have that in you, it will permit you, it will allow you to engage in laughable obedience, which is the kind of obedience that God seems to really like. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. God likes funny stories. If you want to be in God's story, you are going to be, a fun, it's going to be a comedy, right? You, you, there will be laughter involved. You will get to laugh about this in heaven. And people will laugh at you, by the way, whilst you're doing it. And you need to be okay with that. God likes to tell a good, funny story. The Bible is full of funny stories. All, like, you, you know, we don't think about it because it's written in the ancient you know, language. We don't necessarily have our, our rhythm and pattern. That, but these things are funny stories. This is a funny thing that God tells him to do. Uh, and, and God will, whenever we have that spirit on us, he will get us to do things that people will ask, why on earth are you doing that? And we will say, there's no one on earth about it. Yeah, this is a heavenly mandate. I'm doing this, not, it's nothing to do with earth. I'm doing this because i got something that's not from earth that's telling me to do this. We need to have a rationally joyful obedience to the words of God. I want to share, share one story. I felt this specifically, actually, for, for today. Because um, I, I think this will, this will speak to some of you in the room. And maybe watching online as well. I think this is for a few people here. A few years ago, I was organizing a big conference for um, church leaders around Ireland. I was working with an organization, and I was in charge of running th- this conference. And uh, I-, I had worked extremely hard on this. I just put a lot of pressure on myself, worked way too hard, lots of nights, you know, for months on end, just really, you know, everything I could give it. And... Uh, at the end of the conference, it went great. Like, there, nothing went wrong. Everyone was delighted. At the end of the conference, I, I walked out to my car. And I was going to drive back up here. So we were down just outside of Dublin, about two and a bit hour drive back up. And as I got in my car, I just felt a, a, like I hit a wall of the kind that I had never felt before. Like, you would have expected to feel relief. And I just felt this, like, weight of, of depression and despair and hopelessness. Uh, that I, I had never felt anything like it. It was like really, really bad. I remember driving back up uh, and just, I was like, I, I can't keep going. I, 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 it was just weird. I, I, I've never felt anything like it. I've always been like a, a high energy, you know, shrug it off kind of person. And I, I went to bed that night and I had these just awful nightmares, like really, really dark, you know, clearly spirit. This is, you know, I knew it was spiritual. I got up the next day and I, I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, I you know, managed to, at some point in the afternoon to drag myself down and just lie on the sofa. And I don't, I, I, to this day, I don't know what it was. You'll find out why. I didn't get a, get a diagnosis or anything, but it was probably the start of some like breakdown or some, you know, it was, things like that can go bad, right? I, I've heard other stories from other people. Uh, and they're, they're not always quick to recover from. And uh, thankfully, I married an Eastern European. And uh, they don't put up with that kind of, you know, like that. <clears throat> they just so, Dan, so Danny, Danny goes, Jamie, you need to fight this. Like she saw me there, she got, she got fed up with it, and she goes, Jamie, you need to fight this. Like you're not getting on like this. 
not accepting that. She said, you need to dance. I said, I, I, I can't stand up. Like, I, I, do you think I want to dance? And so she's like, well, I'm going to do it then. So she gets a laptop in, puts on the most sort of obnoxious worship song you can imagine. I don't even remember what one it was, but it was whatever the opposite of the one I wanted was, that's what she was playing, right? And starts like dancing around the room and praising God. And I, you know, I'm sitting there and she's doing this. It goes on a few minutes and I'm like, I'm feeling secondhand embarrassment here. Like, you know, I, I probably need to, need to try at least. You know, I managed to sort of sit up and, you know, mouth the word. I didn't even, no volume. I remember just mouthing words, but it was at least vertical. And, and then I was like, right, I, this, I still still feeling awkward, so I'm going to stand up and try and sing. And then, you know, start singing. And then, to, you know, I find myself sort of, I uh, find myself dancing. And it was laughable. It was laughable. I'm sure it looked ridiculous. It was laughable because it was the exact opposite of how I felt. But within 10 minutes, it had completely lifted. 100%. Like, gone. Never, never came back. Didn't, didn't need to go through, and I'm not saying people don't, but I didn't need to go through any kind of, rec- it was just gone. It was broken. Whatever happened, it got broken in that moment. And there is something in the power of restoring the joy. There's something in that laughable obedience. And for some of you, it looks like dancing. Literally, literal dancing. There are people in this room, and you've been walking under a cloud, and you're walk with God, you're completely stuck. And what God wants you to do is, and to to be honest, you can do it now. I'm not going to tell you you have to, right? You can. So no one's going to, well, we might judge you. Doesn't matter. (laughs) But at the very least, you need to go home. You need to stick on praise by elevation. One of those, you know, a, a foot, a thumper, you know, one of them, right? And you need to dance. And you need to put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You need to say, do you know what? I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm not going on like this. I refuse. To, I, it doesn't matter if it doesn't get resolved. It doesn't matter if it's not sorted. I refuse to lose my joy. I'm going to fight for my joy. I am going to laugh whilst I'm waiting. Amen? Amen. Amen.